and so I always try and walk my talk. I, I own my humanness and I own my imperfections and when I'm a bit off track. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that keeps me really well on track is the fact that I've got to show up. How do I want to show up? And if I'm teaching this stuff, I better bloody be walking my talk, right? Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. My beautiful Maria, welcome to the Self Love Podcast. You know I have been dying to interview you, you special soul. Not only are we really cool friends and you're someone who I truly look up to, but to actually have you on my show is indeed an honor. So welcome, beautiful. Uh, legend, Kimmy, it is an absolute honor. We've been talking about you interviewing me. I think it must have been 12 months ago when you were staying with me when we were doing that course and we were talking about, God, we could talk for hours and I'm glad even if it's a year later, we got there. <laughs> exactly. Timing was obviously right. Which is a really cool point that you are someone who I would consider somebody who always um, goes a distance, someone who never gives up, someone who is obviously um, very proud and honoured to work on herself, but also very beautiful in the generosity and the way you share the knowledge that you learn. Could you give us a little um, brief background as to who you are and how self-love has evolved and become such a big part of your world? Oh, Kimmy, you said we only had 45 minutes. If you, take... <laughs> you just interrupt this monologue whenever you like, beautiful lady. Well, my, my background is as an integrative chiropractor. So I've been in private practice for the last 17 years. And, and I was really blessed and honoured uh, in my first associate position that I got thrown in the deep end and I had to run workshops. Uh, I used to be a very nervous public speaker 17 years ago, but it was part of the gig. And so I can remember the very first time I spoke was I was in a flop sweat in the toilet um, <laughs> before I had to go on. And through that, through that process, I, I started sharing more about health and wellness. And so that's really where I started sharing more about holistic healthcare and holistic chiropractic care 17 years ago, really. And over the years and over my own personal development and disruption is the importance of giving ourselves oxygen first has become absolutely paramount and particularly through my own health journey which uh, some of your listeners might remember my old cast old podcast be the queen of distress which has now evolved into aligned you is that my body's response to the stresses that it was under um, throughout my 20s and then again in my 30s and a little bit coming into my 40s um, really it was like a bit of a slap in the forehead three times of understanding how important it is to actually take the steps to make sure that my body was coping and adapting well to the stressors that are around it. And that's really where self-love came into it for me. And it's been getting stronger and stronger over the, particularly the last couple of years to the point now I consider myself love and self-care to be part of my work. If I'm not doing that regularly, I'm actually, because I have a very strong work ethic is that if I'm not doing that regularly, then I'm actually not doing my best job for myself or for my clients or for, for the listeners that I have through my Aligned You network as well. Yeah, it's pretty special. And would you say that many of us teach what we need to learn the most? 100%. 100%. <laughs> and, and I suppose over the years is, 
it's one of the things, and, and you know me very well, Kimmy, you know that I'm the same online as I am offline. If you know me offline, you know you just get a more amplified version of, of what is online. And, um, and so I always try and walk my talk. I, I own my humanness and I own my imperfections and when I'm a bit off track. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that keeps me really well on track is the fact that I've got to show up. How do I want to show up? And if I'm teaching this stuff, I better bloody be walking my talk, right? You said something just before, and I want to make sure I captured it right. You said through your teaching of holistic health care, your development and destruction. Did I hear that Dis- right? No, disruption. Oh, so disruption. 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 So- well, either way, there can be a disruption too in some respects. But talk to me a little bit more about that. So one of the things I've learned over the last couple of years is really understanding which paradigm do I choose that I, I wish to live in. So that might be a bit confronting for some people. They're like, what are you talking about? Paradigms. Don't we all just live in the same paradigm? And really the reality that I live in is, is my choice. And so one of the things that I've learned over the last couple of years, I had to disrupt, or some might say disrupt, disrupt is the appropriate word as well, the different belief systems and paradigms that whether I'd been brought up with, whether I was living by other people's opinions, whether I was living by other people's uh, belief systems of how I should be living my life. I used to spend way too much caring about what other people thought of me and that used to drive some of my decisions in terms of how I was living my life how I was practicing within my businesses um, and also then my self-care routines because I used to feel a lot of guilt if I was taking time out in inverted commas to actually look after myself Uh, and the reality is with all of the work that I do is if I'm not at my absolute best I can't be giving my best to the clients and the people that that are watching me or being inspired by me. So that's what I mean by disruption. Sometimes we need to change up what we're doing uh, and do it with enthusiasm versus trying to actually make change within that same box. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I really appreciate it because sometimes we see or may think that that's failing by deconstructing, disrupting and even destructing ourselves. So I really find that a really cool point. And the fact that you're a chiropractor, the fact that you are a holistic integrative practitioner, I'd really love you to talk a little bit to me about some of the findings that you have noticed with your clients. Is there a pattern around people needing to disrupt themselves a bit more? Or is there is that something you advise people to do? How, how would you integrate that into your practice? Well, I suppose the way that I do that within my hands-on work in my chiropractic practice is to help people understand what aspects of their life are by choice. And you probably get this too a bit, Kimmy, is in the sense of people will often say, well, why do you get to do that in terms of how my week is structured? And my, I suppose my flippant answer is because I design it that way. Um, and so I suppose that becomes a disruption in itself because a lot of people think, well, what do you mean? I've got to work a nine-to-five. I've got to work five days a week. Um, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to versus well, what am I actually choosing to do? Because if you're choosing to work a nine-to-five, that's a choice. Uh, and it's an important distinction to make. So one of the ways that I, I suppose, help my clients understand that is to help them be really mindful about their language and understanding what parts of their life are a choice. And sure, there's things that we have to do out of uh, obligation and duty, uh, but those things are actually quite small in the grand scheme of things. But a lot of us have been programmed in the past that, everything that we do is an expectation. And mm. so that's one of the ways that I integrate that within my, with my clients. One of the other things that I find regularly is people that are really adapting poorly to stress, which is a lot of people, particularly in our current times, is that 
understanding that disrupting their status quo so they can make change is super important. In fact, it's one of the keys because, you know, they say the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over again, right, and expecting a different result. If you want to change how your body is functioning, if you want to change your mindset, if you want to change how you're showing up every day, you actually have to make changes to how you're doing all of those things. You can't expect to keep eating crappy food, not move, have uh, daily shitty thoughts. You can't then expect to have your health and your well-being in a different state. I find that so powerful because so many people think they are stuck in a web that they can't get out of or there is no choice. I had a lady I was speaking to just recently talking about that she had no time for herself and she literally didn't. And she also craved face-to-face contact with other adults because she has a child with special needs. When we actually broke it down, she went to swimming and would see other adults. So she did get to see adults face-to-face, yet her comment was, I never see any adults. Talk to me a little bit about language and how you found it has has a real effect physically. And if you think from an emotional point of view, how does that show up in the body? It has such a big impact. So one of the other, I suppose, strings to my bow, I always get that saying a bit, muddled sometimes I'm not very good at sayings and I hear them back and I go oh that's not the saying but you get the point Um, I'm also an NLP practitioner Um, when we start talking in absolutes we really cut off the possibilities so when you say I never I never get adult contact and then when you actually start sort of digging a little bit deeper go but you do you go, okay, so is never, really never, is I get, abs- when you're in those absolutes of, you know, no one ever does this, this and this, and it's like, really, is that true? And so I suppose when we ask those next level questions is then people start to, I suppose, peel back the layers of what stories that they've been telling themselves for a long period of time that aren't necessarily true and that perhaps aren't really serving them in the long run might be feeding into a particular story that they like to play out but in the long run it's not serving them actually elevating becoming a better level of person that they're aspiring to be in terms of what impact it has on their bodies it creates amazing neurological patterns the more often we repeat the same story over and over again it becomes our truth to want a better way of describing it and so if we have that story on repeat then and we're telling ourselves we're constantly stressed, then our body's actually going to start making physiological changes to show you that you're stressed. And so having an awareness of the language that we're using, having an awareness of what emotion do I want to show up in today, it's amazing then how when we have that, when we're living life consciously, how life starts to look quite different. Talk to me about living life consciously. So many people say they do it or they're aware of it or they think it or they might think that it's just been present right here, right now. Talk to me how you master the art of living in the present moment and living with a consciousness that you know is fully awake. Again, that's a massive topic. And I think for a lot of people, they initially go, oh, you're full of it, as if you're doing that. Now, Look, I'm not going to say I never have a shitty thought because I do. But what I do now is when, when I, and what I mean by living consciously is I'm very aware of how I'm feeling in that moment, in the present. 
often what happens when we, well, and I'll speak for myself, often what happens in the, has happened for me in the past, when I get into a state of overwhelm, it's because I'm either thinking about what has happened in the past or I'm getting overwhelmed about what is going to happen in the future versus actually thinking about well, what's happening right now. And Kim, you've heard me talk about my worry meter before and it's something that I've talked about in my book and I talk about regularly and I revisit in every keynote that I do and in regularly on podcasts, which is understanding what we can't control what we can control and what things we might not be able to control so that's one of the ways that i've mastered living consciously is really in that given moment if i'm feeling like i'm under the pump and i'm in overwhelm and i've got too many things or this sense of too many things going on all at once i really bring it back to keeping it simple of in this given moment right now at 12 50 in the day when i'm talking to my dear mate kim what is inside my control what is outside of my control so I can let it go, accept it and let it go to its higher good. If it's something that I'm not sure about is to actually get, maybe not at this particular moment, but is to actually get the help and advice that I need to be able to put it into one of those two columns. What that then allows me to do is to sit with the particular emotion that I'm in. Now, I use that language very specifically. I sit with my emotion. I don't sit in it. And that's really important because then I can go, well, why am I feeling like that? And is that how I want to show up today? And if it's in the negative side of thought process, it's not how I want to show up in life. So then I can actually take the steps to moving into a, into a zone that I want to be sitting in. And it's those sorts of steps that I've taken and, and repeated often enough now that this happens very quickly. So it's very rare that I'm in a, a down state for too long. It's very rare that I stay in a, a shitty thought process for too long. It was interesting, actually, at the start of COVID, so back in what late March, is that I found myself over the probably that first week where I was actually effectively self-isolating. I just sold my practice down the south coast and I was about to start up in Alexandria, I had a slightly snotty nose, so that meant that I couldn't. At the time, my, my mum was um, going through the last stages of cancer, so I was very much aware of that I didn't want to put myself in a position where I couldn't see mum. And so I'd say for about three or four days, I, I found myself in a real funk. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And because I have that awareness to be able to sit with it and go, oh, hang on, there's some habits that are showing up that I don't like. There's some thought processes that remind me of how I used to think versus how I think now, what, what's going on. And it allowed me to sit with it long enough to go, ah, oh, I get it. And one of the, when we're talking about self-love, one of the things that I'd realised is all the self-love practices that I'd been doing and were integrated in my life and laid in my foundations had all been taken away in those first two days. So one of the things that I was very conscious of back then was to make sure I was putting back in place all the things that I could within the parameters that I had at that particular moment and making sure I, I had the connection piece um, with people I loved and also most importantly with myself through that particular period. So I hope that helps in terms of how I do things consciously. It's, it's a big topic. We could talk for days on it, but there, there's some simple things that you can start doing straight away. Yeah, I really love it. And I like the fact that it's actually a conscious thought constantly. So often we go through life not even thinking what we've thought or not even realizing we've driven from A to B or not even knowing or remembering where we put the keys or can't remember whether or not we've eaten. And it just shows you how displaced we are from our own physical self and well-being. If someone was listening to this right now going, okay, well, it's all right, Dr. Maria, you, you've obviously practiced this for some time. 
I've got three kids under five. I'm exhausted. Uh, I've got a husband that's now at home because he hasn't got work and he's down in the dumps. Or I'm feeling really fractured and pushed and pulled on all levels. Trying to think consciously is, is not on my agenda when right now all I'm focusing on is breathing and getting through each moment. What would you say to that person? Well, my first answer is I think that it's even more important than ever to be thinking consciously in that particular moment. If, if you are in that survival mode, it's the most important time to become conscious of it. And whether that's literally on how you're breathing, I think breathing is so important and it's amazing when we're under stress. And perhaps this is something your listeners can do now, Kim, is actually in this moment as they're listening is to figure out where they're breathing is. Are you breathing up into the top of your chest or actually breathing diaphragmatically and breathing into your guts? Because if you're feeling like the world is like serving you, as our dear friend Marcus Pierce would say, shit sandwiches, um, is how is your body responding to that? So I suppose my first answer is to, I would probably call BS on that you can't think consciously in that moment. It's more important than ever. Some of the self-care things that I do, fair deal, you might not have the time right now while you're actually working on the redesign of your life and you might pick one or two really simple things that literally take you a minute or two to do to be able to get into that conscious state but one of the things I would suggest to your listeners is if you feel like you are getting handed a bunch of sandwiches you don't want or you're under the pump and you've got all these different balls up in the air more important than ever is to to be really conscious about the simple things and that's whether you are breathing properly whether you are breathing properly into your diaphragm talk about one of the things that I see more often than not in practice these days is obviously people that are coming to see me are breathing most people are breathing incorrectly and it's one of the pillars that I now look at within practice is we look at spinal health to start with to make sure your brain and body are able to connect properly in your neurologically i look at how people are breathing and making sure you've got the tools to be able to take the breath out of the top of your chest which set off all your stress responses and down into your guts which automatically helps you relax which is really freaking cool it allows you to make better decisions because it's really hard to make good choices when you're in a stress state Uh, we also look at consciousness that's allowing you to be at your absolute best in your own unique way because some of the things that i do might not float your boat you might not want to get into freezing cold water in Sydney in the middle of winter. I'm not going to force you to do it. Um, is that something I choose to do now? Absolutely. Don't do it as much as I do in summer, but I make sure I'm in at least once a week. So it's these sorts of things, as I said, is when you're under the pump, making sure you're more conscious than ever is going to be make it so much easier to get rid of that overwhelm and move into a state where you can start making some decisions that are going to be best for both you and your family. And and you're so right because as a role model for your kids, watching their mother or father or both stressing is showing them that that's how you handle stress. And I've always felt if I had a television camera in my house and it was beamed out to the world, how proud would I be of my behavior right now? And I always felt that one of our greatest roles and responsibilities as a parent is to show our kids the power of resilience, the power of getting through stress, the power of how to show up, the power of being immaculate with your word, the power of conscious thoughts. So I just want to acknowledge you for that because I was hoping you'd go down that path because I think it's BS as well. And I think it's really, it's even more important that we actually own our stuff and breathing to me, getting outside, taking the kids, changing state, getting in a bath with oils can also be a great way to change a state tell me what you think is optimal health then well for me optimal health is being aligned in your body head and heart and so that you're able to perform at your at your absolute best and depending on us as individuals our absolute best might be a little bit different 
you know, some of us have been handed different uh, different set of circumstances, a different genetic code that then is going to be expressed differently from an epigenetic point of view, all those sorts of things, a little bit different for everybody. But I, for me, is optimal health is performing at your absolute best and being able to do that in a way that suits you living the life that you aspire. Now that's changed over the years. It's actually part of why I've changed the name of my podcast because back when I was the queen of stress and I was talking about being the queen of your stress, I kind of had a, I suppose, a good way of opinionating over at, at people in terms of, well, this is what you should be doing to achieve your optimal health versus now it's like, well, what I consider to be my optimal health and give me what you describe your optimal health as being might be a little bit different it's not about blood tests for me and you know results that you get on on those sorts of baselines although they're important folks it's good to know where you're at as far as all of that's concerned but for me it's that i can show up in practice with energy it's it's that i can show up with my family with the right energy it's that i can show up literally in life in the way that i picture that i want to show up in life and if i can't do that because i'm puffing up the stairs because i haven't been going to the gym often enough or uh, i can't do that because I'm carrying too much information because I've been giving alcohol too much of a nudge or I've been eating foods that, you know, aren't supporting my my body being at its best, then that's to me not living at my optimal level of health. Yeah, I love it. And I also love and admire what you've done. Tell me a little bit about your journey over the years with weight and self-image and looking at yourself in the mirror. Tell me how that's gone. And I know that the listeners are going to love this story. <laughs> well, Oh, how far back do you want me to go, Kimmy? As um, far so, as I mean, you need. <laughs> I suppose one of the things for me is that, uh, to, for your listeners, some of you will have heard me speak before, some of you will be like, who is Dr M anyway? Um, so my background is I'm Eurasian. So my mum uh, was part Vietnamese, part French, part Malay and part English, and then I had a Hungarian father. Now, you might be like, what the hell is that got to do with anything? Well, as a child, we got really fed like either a Hungarian baby or more like Aussie kids in terms of steak and three veg. And mum cooked everything from scratch, as did dad. So we're very blessed as far as watching that as role modelling. But because of my Asian heritage, which is only a quarter of me, however, is is that's probably how I should have the diet that would have suited me better, as for my brother as well. So we both have a tendency of carrying too much weight if we're not careful about what we're eating. And so as a teenager is that I was always a fit, fat kid. Although now I look back at photos and go, you weren't really that fat. But compared to the other kids, I was super fit. I played a lot of cricket. I played a lot of hockey. I played a lot of softball. I was bat and ball and I was a very happy camper. Um, but I always had a tendency to carry weight. Coming into my 20s, my dad passed away 20 years ago this year. And when after dad passed away, I actually put on 30 kilos in about six months. This is really, this is the starting point of what uh, inspired Be the Queen of Stress really because in that period of the six months, I put on 30 kilos and I'd actually started getting chest pain and not only chest pain, but pain down my left arm. Now, a lot of you listeners would know is pain down your left arm is an indication your ticker isn't working properly. And so that sent me down a, a medical path where we went to our family GP. He said to me, look, it's probably in your head, but because your dad's health history, my dad had um, passed away from complications from heart disease is that we'll go and get your heart checked. And so I went off to the family physician. 
he said it's really unlikely at 23 that it's your heart, it's more likely your liver or your thyroid, but let's pop a heart monitor on you just in case. And so what came back was my heart rate at 7am, which was when I got up to go to uni back then, is that my heart rate had went from 48 to 160 at 7am and it had spiked like that throughout the day. So then I got diagnosed with inappropriate tachycardia, which is, you don't speak Latin, that's a fancy way of saying my heart was beating too fast inappropriately. Fast forward to getting to the cardiologist, he then told me that it was really common for 23-year-olds to have tachycardia. It's not. It's really common for 23-year-olds who see cardiologists to have tachycardia. Um, and he handed me some beta blockers, which chronically fatigued me to the point where I couldn't get off the couch. Um, I, would, I started driving everywhere. And I, at that point, I was living in southern Sydney. Most of my friends lived in towards the city. And often I just couldn't get out to see them because I would be afraid I wouldn't be awake enough to drive home. At that point, I didn't drink alcohol. I was always designated driver. And there was a turning point when they thought that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome because my cortisol levels were so high that I can remember very distinctly walking out of the specialist office that day and turning to mum who came to all my appointments with me back then and saying, there has got to be a different way. And I, I went down the path of I found an amazing biochemist who I, I went on a blood type diet for 12 months. Uh, I started approaching my chiropractic care more from a proactive point of view versus a reactive point of view. And within the six months it took to get the appointment with the endocrinologist to see if I did have polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, all my bloods were back to normal. I dropped 30 kilos and I was back to living life as a 23-year-old versus being basically an old lady on the couch who left an imprint of my body shape there because I just slept all the time. If I wasn't at uni, I was at home sleeping. And that really started the journey of me understanding how important it was to be proactive about my health. But also it wasn't until then my um, mid-30s and then my late 30s where that happened again, where I'd gone through a really big period of stress. I'd gone through, particularly in 2015, I'd gone through a, a, a massive period of stress. And my body's response back then and you listen to my language listeners back then, it's not what happens now, is that I would put on weight very, very quickly and I would get terrible skin irritation where I would look like I had teenage acne. And uh, back then, and it's a story that I don't tell too often these days, Kimmy, you were at its retirement, but I looked like Baymax from um, Big Hero 6, the movie. I looked like a big safety robot, which is how my body used to respond when I was under stress. It was like I was putting on layers of protection that people could have bounced off. Um, and so what I've realised is, and it's been part of my journey of, of really loving myself, uh, is understanding that I'm enough, I'm beautiful and I'm really bloody clever. And if the world around me doesn't accept that, that's okay too. But what I need to be to be at my best is healthy, my version of, of fit. Um, I need to be able to walk upstairs without puffing. Back then when I looked like Baymax, I couldn't walk up the hill. Uh, where I used to have my practice down the south coast without puffing and looking like red in the face. I was like, this isn't good enough. It doesn't matter what's going on in my brain. I can't share what I know in my brain and get past people's biases because we all judge people on what's going on in the outside in the first 40 seconds. We can deny it, but it's what happens is that I can't really share my message if I can't walk up a hill without puffing or if I, I'm looking so round because I'm carrying so much information that that's what people see. And so it was a really, big, uh, a really big turning point for me back then was going, well, if I want to share my message and I want pe to be able to make a, a, an impact in the world and to hopefully push our global consciousness forward, then I need to be my best self. 
Uh, and so it's been an interesting journey. And through that journey, I know that it's inspired lots of other people. So I used to carry about 30, 35 extra kilos than what I carry now, maybe probably in the 20s these days, just after what's been going on the last couple of couple of uh, weeks, I have been eating for Yoda. I don't want to look like Yoda is still carrying with me. That's perhaps we'll explain who Yoda is in a second. Um, but that's really been the journey. It's been, it's literally been, how many decades? Two decades of, of learning uh, how my body and how I am best going to respond to the stressors that are around me. Because we all have stress going on. It's just a matter of whether we're adapting well to it or not. Before we go into Yoda, I want to ask one other question. Back then, carrying the weight, knowing that you weren't at your best, knowing that perhaps you weren't doing the right things for yourself, when you looked in the mirror and saw yourself naked, uh, was there there negative conversations in your head? Did you berate yourself? Did you put yourself down? How did you, and, and more importantly, how would you now tell somebody who does feel like that, how would you tell them to process those thoughts? It's a really interesting question. In all honesty, Uh, I never had a body image issue. The things that annoyed me about it was that somebody could be standing next to me and at the time, goodness, I was a size 18 or 20, like literally my bust size. I'm now in a a, a 10 double D. They're still big. But back then I was like in an 18, like F, like it just was freaking uncomfortable carrying my breasts around, let alone anything else. Um, But it was more around my disc. It, It was never a berating myself for me. It was more, oh, I can't buy the clothes that I want to buy. That's annoying. And what used to frustrate me particularly was the fact that um, there could be somebody standing next to me who was, a, say, a you know, size 8 or 10, actually have a, a, a fraction of the knowledge that I have and they got taken more seriously. And so that was really my driving point to, to make change. I was really blessed at the time. My wife at the time loved me with my curves. So I never felt like I was unattractive to my partner at the time. Um, and so really it, it was, I never self-berated my, myself in that point. To your question in terms of if people are in that state of mind is, is my suggestion to you would be is to start shifting it as gently as possible because when we're having repeated thoughts, when we're having repeated stories to ourselves, if you're looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I hate how I look, you're actually creating neurological pathways that get laid down. So it takes time to shift that language. One of the things that I did do a couple of years ago, and it wasn't because I was berating myself as such, it was more that I needed to increase the level of my self-belief. And so what I did was I got a chalk texter and I wrote across my mirror, because chalk texters do wash off, is I am enough. And I would read it every morning until it became so ingrained that if there's ever a moment of self-doubt that I have, that actually is my automatic response. What are you talking about? You're totally enough. You don't need to be anybody else other than who you are in this given moment because you're in the right place at the right time. You might not want to be there at the time, but having that sense that you're in that right place, it's amazing how that can make a shift. So my suggestion to your listeners would be if that's your current thought process, be gentle with yourself. Give yourself some grace. If you are carrying extra weight that you would prefer not to be carrying right now is maybe thank it because your body is protecting you from perhaps the toxins that you've been carrying, perhaps you've been under the pump for a long period of time and your body's got you to this point. So the more that you can actually love on it, the more likely it is, it might sound a bit out there and woo-woo, but the more likely it is that it's actually going to shift to the state that you want it to be in. Yeah, the body's pretty, yeah, totally. The body is so magnificent. And in many ways, for people who have gained weight, let's say through bad eating choices, the body has done exactly what you've 
put into it. You know, it's, it's going to respond in that way. The body is so magnificent. And just as it took quite a bit of discipline maybe to eat all those Tim Tams or that ice cream or whatever it is that you've done to get to that point, you can use the same mindset to treat it with love. And I love what you said, be gentle with yourself. I think that's one of the biggest things. The other thing with that, Kimmy, is and, and when I was putting on significant amount of weight, I was eating well. This is the mm-hmm. other myth that I think sometimes happen is that people go, but I'm eating well and I just can't get rid of the weight. And, and I, I understand when, I mean, I've in my adult life, so in the last two decades, there's been one, two, three, there's been three times where I've really expanded and my body doesn't, didn't matter what I was eating. I was just in such a stress state. I was stuck in sympathetic dominance. It's like literally I could have looked at a potato from the other side of the room and all of a sudden I'd be two kilos heavier. Didn't even need to like ingest it. And so I was eating fairly well. I was cooking from home. I was eating good quality produce, but my body just was not actually it was such in a state of survival is it thought it needed to hang on to everything for exactly that for survival because when we're in that sympathetic dominant state our guts aren't working properly our brain and body aren't connected properly and so giving yourself some grace being gentle with yourself and not beating yourself up if you're doing the right stuff now as you said if you're making the choices to put what you know is shit food into your body then that's a choice and your body's responding to that sometimes if you you're sort of in that process of going, I really am doing all the right things and I don't get it. That falls back to that worry meter where you're in that unsure state of whether it is something you can't control or whether you can control and making sure you've got the right um, mental health practitioner that can point you in the right direction. Because when it comes to nutrition, this is something I've learned the hard way. It is not a one size fits all approach. It really, particularly if your body is stuck in that sympathetic dominant state, which means that your listeners, they might not have heard that term before. But what it means is your body is stuck in a fight-flight response. It means that it's having an evolutionary reaction to whatever stresses that are going on around you that it actually feels like it needs to switch off a lot of things and just push basically blood supply to extremities so you can get that bejesus out of there um, as quickly as humanly possible. So uh, literally is our gut function is changing, all those things. So that's where it's important to get the right advice. And if you are, are using a particular diet, for example, that is more of a, a program in inverted commas and you're not getting the results that you are looking for, I'd highly suggest going to the right practitioner that can actually tailor make it for you because the one size fits all really doesn't work when you're in that sort of state. It's a tough thing though, isn't it? Spending a lot of money to get to the right practitioner, but it really is a case of trial and error. And I would suggest that the fact that your body is responding like that, your body is talking to you. Your body is saying to you the stress levels. It's not even about the food anymore, is it? It's now about how you're going to manage this to get yourself out of that inflammatory state. So you've talked about sympathetic dominance and we know that's fight or flight. How do we then boost our beautiful parasympathetic nervous system so that we do get into a better state so that then when we do eat and whatever we eat, preferably obviously from a healthy perspective, we are then nourishing our souls from the inside out. How do we get to parasympathetic? Well, I think that's what the beauty of this whole podcast of yours is, Kim, is in the sense of that self-love is a really good place to start because generally when doing self-love activities it's things that actually dampen down that sympathetic response and it's stuff that lights us up and brings us joy i mentioned earlier breathing breathing is huge making sure that diaphragmatic breath is amazing how quickly it can help you shift meditation is huge uh, it's been a massive shift in my world over the last goodness five years i started five years ago i started um um 
presenting my Stress Less Live More workshop, which part of that is around the sympathetic SD protocol, which Dr. Wayne Todd developed. And in that particular workshop that then I, I also looked at energy management as well because I think that is huge, is how you're actually planning and designing your week. Um, perhaps we can touch on that in a moment. But when I used to teach that particular workshop that I developed is that I would talk about mindfulness because I had had such a big re- emotional response to the thought of meditating. It just used to drive my, my old busy brain nuts, the thought of you want me to do what? You want me to sit still for 10 minutes and to clear my mind? Are you kidding? I can't possibly do that. So I couldn't even call it meditation five years ago. Now I have a very strong meditation practice and it's super important for, for lots of reasons. One is that, um, and we were talking earlier in terms of our automated response um, or when you were mentioning the mum that's under the pump and your hubby or partners uh, and kids and all these things going on is that a lot of our reactions are automated in fact all of our reactions are automated by the time we're 35 neurologically unless we're actually doing things to disrupt the programming and meditation is one of the beautiful ways that you can actually disrupt that that programming and start reshaping what's going on neurologically because the beautiful things about our brain is we have what's called neuroplasticity we can retrain our brains there is so much research now that's out there that shows us that we can do that and so what it allows us to do is to really change up how we're responding again from a language point of view there's a big difference between reacting to responding Things like meditation, being aware of how we're breathing, um, having the self-love practices in place that float your boat. What floats my boat from a a self-care point of view um, might send you into the quickest fight-flight response ever known to humanity. It's a bit like me playing golf. Golf for me is actually self-love and self-care and it actually does drop me into a parasympathetic state. I know for a lot of people they'd actually prefer to be stabbed in the eye than play golf. But it's it's one of those things where it becomes very personal um, and it's why it's really figuring out what works for you. Talk to us a little bit more about that energy management. Ah, well, this is interesting and it's something you said earlier about the mum that had the child with special needs and feeling like she didn't have the time. One of the exercises I take people through in the Stress Less workshop and in, in my corporate workshops as well is, is when we're looking at our week, we have 168 hours. We all have that same amount of time. Um, time is a construct that's perhaps a a conversation for another time whether you believe it's finite or not that's definitely a conversation for another time but if we're going around the construct that we've been given which is 168 hours over a seven-day period is when you actually start mapping out how you're using your time over that week it's amazing how much time you actually have spare um in the goodness how long i've been teaching i think it's said five years i've been teaching the stressless with more workshop is i've only ever had one woman that was in deficit of time now at the time she was working a full-time job she was um in charge of her two kids she was also doing a full-time degree um and she had an unwell parent at the time so fair deal she was in deficit she didn't have any time to spare but then one of the other examples was my beautiful assistant at the time who when she did this exercise she realized she had 40 hours a week she wasn't using well and when you actually run through it so it's a, it's a simple thing that your listeners can do from at home if you've got a pen and paper all you need to do is go um each day is what activities do I do regularly? Now, obviously, there's going to be a little bit of change throughout your week, depending on what week it is. But if you went the big things like sleep is important, please do that seven days a week. So if you're doing, if you're sleeping seven days a week, however long it is that you sleep, the most important thing about sleep is you're doing it regularly. So if you're a four hour a night kind of guy or girl, is that you're doing that regularly or if you're 10 hours that it's regular, it's not up and down. So 
So you'd add that through. So let's say you sleep 10 hours for ease. You times that by seven, that's 70 hours out of your week. If you work regular hours, you know that that's your work time, so you can work that out. Now, one of the important things when it comes to our energy management is, and this might seem super simple, but how much time are you spending on your phone scrolling through Facebook or Instagram? And I say this because I need to check in on myself regularly doing that too. Or how much time you are actually watching Netflix? I love a good Netflix binge, but I understand how much time it takes out of my week. And for myself is that a few years ago now, I was making excuses that I didn't have time to read. I really was like, all the clever people I know read a lot. I just don't have time though. And when I did this particular exercise for myself and I slip and check it regularly, I was like, yeah, you're watching 20 hours a week of telly. You could probably like spare a couple of hours to pick up a book. And so, you know, it's calling yourself on your own BS, right? Is that often we we have uh, we we make up those stories of I don't have time to do that, and when you actually have a look, you go, oh yeah, props props do. <laughs> so it's important, and that energy management important. The other thing that I've certainly learnt more about over the last couple of years in terms of energy management, I'm very conscious now of who I spend time with and how I spend time with people that perhaps uh, drain me of energy versus uplift me and give me energy. And the, the old saying of we are the, the main sum of the five people we spend the most time with, I used to think was a load of BS. But now, and the more that I dive into it, the more I'm very aware of it. Uh, and so I minimise the time with people that I feel like my energy is drained or they perhaps don't get me anymore because I've changed. I mean, they're still picturing me three years ago. Uh, and, and that's the big energy management thing too, which is, has been particularly important over the last really couple of months. Beautiful advice and something that I'm sure every single one of us can take away with us about the people that we do choose to spend our time with, particularly for some people during this time, they haven't had much of a choice as to who they've been stuck with. So there's another level of work they've had to be doing as well. As much as they may love their family or love members, they've had to really come together in a whole new way. That's another conversation. I want to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, I know you've lost someone very dear to you recently and the way you've managed yourself, the way you shared yourself and made it so easy for those of us who love you dearly to support you, I would say has been one of the most graceful, gritty and most beautiful experiences to be a part of. Could you share with us the story of beautiful Yoda, your mum? I certainly can. Um, and as I say that, and if you might be able to hear it, I actually smile when I, I think of mum. So it, literally, I don't know if you saw this on my post, Kimmy, is it was 24th of August, so just passed. So we're just clicked while well, we're recording this. We're in early September. So it was 24th of August two years ago that mum found out that she had a, a rather large tumour growing in her colon. Um, and so her, her journey with cancer started two years ago and we were really blessed. And I do look at it as a blessing is that multiple got on like a side project. My mum, and the reason why her nickname is Yoda, if you follow me on any of my socials, you'll see pictures of mum there. And as I said, she was a beautiful Eurasian lady. She was short. She was like five foot nothing um, and very wise. She was 83 when she passed and transitioned. And uh, for her, cancer was a side project because she had stuff to do. My mum contributed her entire life, uh, social work, and was very much a vocation for her that she that she uh, was a part of uh, literally from the time she was 12 uh, up until when Rona hit in March and she wasn't able to do a lot of it anymore just because literally it wasn't on anymore. Um, But she'd been part of some amazing groups. And uh, through 
through that particular period, and thank you for your words, they're, they're really kind and humbling, is that uh, mum was really well with her cancer up until the last few months. Mum passed in on the 12th of August, which is uh, four weeks ago tomorrow from uh, when we're recording. And she was really ready to go. And the alternative to mum staying earthside was that her cognitive function was decreasing significantly. She'd been morphined up to her eyeballs for really the last couple of months. And so the alternative to her not transitioning was that she probably would have ended up needing to be in full-time care, uh, effectively having dementia. And uh, if, if you've, uh, there's a beautiful podcast that I actually recorded with mum. It's episode 16 of Aligned You. If you listen to that, if you get a chance to, you'll you understand that my mum was a very switched on lady. So to think of her being stuck in a nursing home and us not being able to see her, particularly in times of COVID, less than a half hour a week, it just was unconscionable. And mum had a very deep faith. And so mum, mum was very clear with us is that she was going to her pink cloud. And, uh, and when she did transition, let me tell you, the legions of pink clouds that have been around has has really uh, helped me feel very connected with mum. My belief system is mum's still here. She's just not here in her human form. I used to have to invite her over to have duck. Uh, now she can come whenever she wants. Um, and so part of the reason why and we were having this conversation briefly off air, I, I consider now, and it is four weeks, um, I consider my grieving process to have been completed. Yeah, I've accelerated it. I've had help to accelerate it to make sure I've sat with my feelings and understanding that the things that I miss about mum, the attributes, the characteristics, I absolutely have in spades with the people around me. Kimmy, you're one of those people, that unconditional love that used to beam out of Yoda. You know, you're one of the special people in my life that that beams out of. So if I'm ever missing mum, it's that moment of going, I'm going to jump on the phone to Kimmy or I'm going to send you a message. I'm going to get one of your big God, I love yous back. And I was like, you know, that's, that's the sort of feeling that I, I will, would potentially miss from mum not being on the planet. But she's, she's surrounding us in so many ways. So um, it's been a beautiful period. And I guess the, the thing that I hope is helpful for your listeners is that how long we choose to grieve is exactly that. It becomes a choice. And I know lots of people, and look, I responded very differently 20 years ago when my dad passed away. I was in my early 20s. I had no idea. And I wasn't very, um, I, wasn't, I was not living life consciously back then. And I, I was quite traumatized by dad's death in so many ways. Whereas with mum's passing and her transition, I do talk about it as that she's transitioned on her, into her pink clouds, is I personally see her unconditional love going from a human form and it having a density to it, if you like, because as human beings, we have a density to our bodies so as she transitioned I just see that her unconditional love has exploded like it is got bigger than ever and uh, I, I know through the process of sharing mum's journey and calling out for prayers and love and light throughout is so many people have been inspired by it which in itself is humbling and I'm so grateful for it and if it helps people in their own grieving journey, whether that is grieving for a, a loved one that has moved on to a different dimension, onto their pink cloud, to heaven, whatever belief system you have around that, is it's a, a loved one that has, has moved to a different space, whether it's, uh, you know, grieving for a relationship that's broken down, whether it's grieving for a job that's been lost, whether it's grieving for 2020, because it has not been the year that any of us expected, even if you knew something was on the horizon, is that uh, earlier in the year, which a lot of people were predicting, no one could have predicted that it was COVID in the way that it's shown up. Far out for our, our brothers and sisters that are in Melbourne, like Bev and in Victoria, they've just been handed a major SHIT sandwich, really, as we're recording. And so I guess how you show up within the parameters that you've been given, um, it really does come back to choice. And so I'm very mindful now moving forward is 
is I, I sit in a state of joy of I'm really freaking blessed and I know that I am. I know that I'm blessed that I had an amazing role model in my mum. She was a very strong woman. She was pioneering. Uh, she had firm and strong opinions, but she always delivered them with a gentleness that was, was really amazing. And, and they're the memories that I am recreating and laying down for myself, if you like, neurologically. So if I do think of mum, I think of happy thoughts. I don't think of the things I've lost. I actually think about all the things I've gained by having got the opportunity to hang out with a super freaking cool lady for 43 years of my life. And I consider I'm about to hit the second half of my life. So I'm 43 at the moment. I've got another at least half to go. Uh, I don't want to spend that next half grieving for somebody who she would literally probably get down off a pink cloud and give me a kick in the ass if, if that's how I can carry on anyway. Mum's, mum's, one of mum's favourite saying was you need to take things in your stride and go gently. So uh, I'm being gentle with myself. I took myself away on a holiday last week just to get some perspective and to make sure I was as good as I thought I was in terms of how I'm feeling. And, uh, and the nice thing is I really am, which is beautiful. And what's interesting from an energy management point of view, I actually recorded a podcast about it last week, was um, one of the things that I find interesting is so many people are not quite sure of how to actually cope with me now because it doesn't fit into their paradigm of what grief should be. And so even dear friends of mine are like, oh, wow, you're really good. I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm like, oh, but you might be bad. I'm like, no, not planning on it. Um, and so it's... I, I feel like it's it's really interesting from an energy management point of view is those sorts of people I'm not really hanging out with at the moment because um, if they can't cope with me being good and I end up consoling them, it seems a bit back to front. You said, you said the word again, gentle. Take things in your stride, said Yoda, and be gentle. And I guess the, the beauty of cancer is that you had time. Um, there was... A, a series of weeks and months that you had together that you kind of were given the sentence, if you like, for people that lose somebody suddenly, either through tragedy or through a quick illness or, you know, an accident or things like that, would you still have the same advice? Take things in your stride and be gentle. I think I'd probably, the thing I would add to that is give yourself some grace in terms of what do I mean by grace? Give yourself some space to be, to move through the stages of grief, which, you know, include being shocked and feeling numb. It includes feeling things that are despair and feeling really sad. Uh, they're, they're things that I suppose in many ways I, I got the opportunity to process over time. I'm also really lucky. And as I said, is I know my journey is not everyone's journey in the sense of um, my mum and I had nothing left unsaid. Like there's no questions that I have in my mind going, oh, shit, I didn't ask her. Oh, fuck, I didn't spend that hour with her. As I was very conscious, um, particularly over the last few months, of working on getting the balance right of, of how much time I was seeing her. So I understand when people are taken suddenly or un unexpectedly, that's a really different process. So give yourself space to be gentle with yourself. Give yourself that grace to do it. Um, but also is in, in some ways is to take it in your stride and to give yourself an opportunity to sit with those feelings. Why are you feeling that way? Um, and, and look, the, the reality is you might never get those, that closure of the questions that remain unanswered or um, not having had the opportunity to say goodbye. So I suppose my advice in those of us who are not in that position right now is it just, if anything, does it not highlight how important and how short life really is and how important it is to tell the people that we love them, that we love them all the time and not to hold on to the, the pettinesses. Um, I was really lucky. One of the things that I got to record and I actually played it as part of mum's eulogy was 
uh, when she was in Calvary, which is a palliative hospital in Sydney, the first time around, we actually thought we were going to lose mum. Uh, well, we were never losing her. We knew where she was off to, um, is that when she was going to transition, we thought she was transitioning about four weeks before she actually did. And the palliative specialist, who is an amazing human, the people that work in palliative hospitals are the most amazing souls I've ever seen. Like truly, they are inspiring humans. And the the palliative specialist was asking mum about her life. My mum had a very interesting life and he sat intrigued for over half an hour. And in the end, he said to ask mum if she had any, uh, if she had the secret for a happy life and she started talking about love and she said love 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 as much as you can and let go of any of the pettinesses because they're just not that important really so if there was one word was love and I think that's awesome advice is that you know we can whether it's our, our partners our kids our siblings our colleagues whoever it is around us it's really easy to get caught up on the little things and at the end of the day I suppose a question to ask yourself is does it really matter and is it worth not getting the opportunity to say I love you to somebody um, for the sake of that pettiness. Beautiful. Apart from Yoda then, who else do you think or what are the things that make someone beautiful? Ooh, that makes someone, give me more, what do you mean by that, Kimmy? How would you describe someone if you thought of Yoda as a beautiful soul, someone that you loved and all the beautiful qualities that she had apart from her, who are other people like that to you, either living or not living, and what do you think makes somebody beautiful? Oh, I've got, I'm really blessed because I have a, an amazing group of friends and inner circle group and I have friends like your beautiful self and, and whilst I'm surrounded by so much love and some of those people I don't talk to all the time but I suppose the thing that comes to mind when you say that is it's a sense of kindness, gentleness in delivery, the ability to give you truth bombs when you need truth bombs because for me somebody who's beautiful is that they can, they can I suppose the way I would describe it is they can hand me a, a spoonful of concrete if I need it or they can also give me a big hug uh, depending on you know what I need at that given time because sometimes we do need a bit of a kick in the pants and say, okay, you've had enough time to, to uh, wallow in it, now get on with it. Um, and sometimes, you know, people just need a big bloody hug. So it's, it's that kindness, it's the gentleness. Uh, for me, somebody's intellect is a very beautiful thing. Sharpness of mind is, is something that I, I find to be very attractive and very beautiful. Um, and I, I am truly blessed. You, we will be going for another hour if I started naming everybody that fits into that, into that box. But for me as well, it's somebody's energy is a beautiful thing. If somebody's sitting in a positive energy uh, in the sense of that they are vibrating unconditional love, that is one of the most beautiful things uh, to be surrounded by. So beautiful. Tell us what you love about you then. Oh, what I love about me. Well, I think I'm a big ball of unconditional love. Um, it's certainly something that I work on is being in that space of, of giving everyone unconditional love. I have not always sat in that space, let me tell you. Uh, but it's something that I've been working on very much over the last year. I had a, a beautiful role model in my mum to, to watch that and how that played out. I'm certainly not as patient as mum. I don't suffer fools well. So that's been a big, a big learn for me. Um, but in terms of what's beautiful about me, I think that I, I'm a good listener. I think that I, I give people, if, if you're in my inner circle, I, I would take bullets for you. Um, and what else? I don't know. You can probably answer that question better than I can, Kimmy. But it's, I think when I'm in, I'm all in. That's one of the beautiful things about me. 
It sure is. And I love the fact that what you want to do and what you gift of yourself is such a reflection for those of us that are around you, the ability to love and be loved, the ability to shine and be shined upon. You've taught me also some beautiful things around the kindness, which I really love, which is um, treating people, whether that's in a text or whether it's taking them for a glass of wine or whether it's uh, interviewing them on a podcast or sharing a book or whatever that looks like. You are someone who truly does um, open your heart and space and make everyone feel like they are in your inner circle. I think that's something that's incredibly special about yourself. I also love the fact that you love beautiful food. I love the fact that we get to laugh a lot and we yeah. um, we we laugh often till we cry, which I really like. It's a true story. <laughs> And I love the fact that we love to learn. I really enjoy learning with you and being a part of that education process around love, life, health and happiness. And I really love sharing that information and hearing you share of that. So there is many things that I could say about that. But if there's one word for me, I would say that you are a beautiful beam of light. And I think the world is a greater place to have you in it. To see how you've grown over these last couple of years that I've got to really know you has been a magical journey. It's inspiring and to truly watch how you've been with Yoda through this process has given me hope in the Western world where we don't do death so well. You show on what a beautiful passage and transitional time for both sides it can be. I remember John O'Donoghue, a beautiful philosopher, um, no longer with us. He said to be with someone as they transition and to tell them the most beautiful things you can as they do that is one of the greatest gifts we could ever bestow on a person who's going through that. And I know that's something you did. And I'd just love you to share at the end of her bed, what was sitting at the end of her bed. Uh, so mum had a, a habit of making some stuff up sometimes, but um, particularly towards the end, she was still, that's how she conned her way out of palliative care the first time around is that she, she actually was still sharp enough to take pieces of information from everybody and she kept telling people she was going home. So in the end, she's, people started believing her and they made it happen and my brother and I are looking at her going, you just made that up. But anyway, one of the things that was two days before she passed and mum was still extremely independent and stubborn there's many life lessons that I learned uh through that period and and why and I'm not sure if we have time to talk about it today Kimmy but one of the things that had come out of the I've got much better at asking for help and accepting help over the last year or so I used to be very bad at it and I realized why it's because it, how we were brought up was that we are very capable humans myself my brother and mum and uh, and as was my dad before he passed so more often than not, it's just quicker if we did it ourselves versus asking for help. And then I realized I'm surrounded by awesome people that when they say they want to help, they really want to help. But mum had made some of the decisions about the care that she wanted to receive or not want to receive when Andrew and I weren't there. So she, for example, when she pulled, uh, it was two days before she passed, she pulled any more antibiotics. She actually had a chest infection that really took her in the end. Um, and I had ducked out to come back to practice for two hours. And by the time I'd got back, she was, her morphine had been increased because she'd actually stopped all of her antibiotics uh, whilst I wasn't there. And uh, my brother had arrived back at the hospital and she started, started talking about this pink chariot and a pink unicorn and a chocolate colored Atlas that we're going to be taking it. Atlas is my uh, 28 kilo brutal, by the way, folks, um, that we're going to be how she was getting to her pink cloud. And that Dr. Tan, who's a palliative specialist, that he was going on a pink Studebaker. 
And they're like, what are you on about? She's like, that's how I'm going. I'm like, okay. And so in the next 24 hours, actually it was under 24 hours, by the time my brother got back to the hospital the following morning, and thank goodness, and we're really blessed. And as I said, I realise this is not everybody's conditions, particularly in our new terms and conditions around Australia at the moment. Uh, the hospital could relax the rules about who could come in because mum was really at the last 24 hours. And so my nieces could come in. It was she wanted Mum wanted to see one of her dear friends, Carmela. She wanted to see Atlas and she wanted to see the kids. And so she perked up enough for this last visit. And there's some beautiful photos that we have. It was actually in the inside cover of her um, of the, the mass booklet that we had for mum. And anyway, my brother walked in. Well, actually, baby Frankie, who's now four, she's not really a baby, walked in with this this box under her arm. And my brother had found in less than 12 hours a, a carriage that was pinkish that was being drawn by a unicorn that had pink hair. So I'll, I'll give him that one. And apparently toy shops haven't caught up with crossbreed. So he bought him a German shepherd, which is what we grew up with. And so it was actually, it was actually the, the carriage that mum was talking about. So it sat at the end of her bed and actually we had it on her, her coffin at her mass and it got buried with mum. And uh, my middle niece, Isla, came up with the name Galahox, was the unicorn. It's Scarlet. Oh, it also had a fairy. So Scarlet the fairy and Sally the German shepherd were taking mum to her pink cloud. And it was, it was such a beautiful visual for, um, for all of us, really, is it, and particularly for the kids because uh, it took the fear out of where mum was going. So their meme was on, their, on her chariot ride. And it was beautiful because uh, Isla, who is six, uh, her, her, she'd written mum a card and her card was, Dear Meme, hope you have a really good time in heaven. I'll miss you. Love you, Isla. And, uh, you know, to take that fear out of it for the kids was, was, really, was really cool. And as I said, I, I know how blessed I am through that period. Oh, it's such a beautiful story. It made me smile and it made me stop feeling sad when I saw how happy you were with all of that. So I just want to acknowledge you again because you just made the whole process such a beautiful, way more spiritual and pleasant um, kind of kind of moment in life, something that we dread and fear. You turned it into something quite exquisite and beautiful. And what a treat for your mum and how beautiful for her to leave, knowing that her kids and grandkids were happy and great and she was going off on her beautiful pink chariot. I just love it. And one of the things was literally within an hour of the kids' visit, it was funny, on the Monday night her dear friend had come in and I was still there and I know, I, Andrew was going to bring the kids in, in the, for the following evening and the sense and, and through that period, it's probably another podcast, I'd really used my body over the last couple of months to really tap into into my heart space of where do I need to be when? Because I'm also growing a practice in Alexandria at the moment. I started from scratch in a pandemic because I sold my practice down the coast. So in the midst of all this, I'm growing a business. I had to try and look after myself. We're looking after all these talk about balls in the air. So it was slightly different balls, but it's, um, it's one of those things where um, – through through that that period is really using my body as a barometer of where I needed to be when and not being in anybody else's paradigm as what I needed to be doing as a daughter. I think that some of mum's friends who are probably more traditional were very much, well, you're the daughter, you need to be here. And I was like, mm, well, no, I'm the one that's not towards the end. I was absolutely there. But at various points over the last six months, I was like, mm, no, I've actually got to be somewhere else right now. And mum was totally supportive of that. But what was amazing is that that night after this particular friend had come to visit mum, he said, I rang my brother and said, I really think the kids need to take a day off school if you want them to come, bring them in the morning because mum deteriorates significantly at night. And it was, I'm so glad that I made move and I just tapped into what was right. This might sound again a bit out there and woo-woo, but I made the phone call. I said, they need to come in the morning. And thank God, because within an hour of their visit, 
mum basically couldn't communicate for the last 24 hours of her life other than to let us know she wanted some champagne because that, that night we're meant to be having some dinner together. So a very classic Zushman uh, meal together would be Chinese duck, like barbecue duck and chasil pork. And then mum's favourite champagne was mum champagne. I know it said mum, but mum, we used to call it mum champagne. Um, and the only thing that she was able to communicate enough to us that she actually wanted a sip of it and so again i have a selfie one of the reasons why i shared so much um, of mum's journey is that uh, mum rocked a bloody selfie she'd get it first shot every time i'd be like oh i'm not happy with how i look mum you look great let's do it again um and uh and and also as mum as i said mum had a great faith so anytime she was going through a trial or tribulation i'd always call out for prayers um and she uh she would always rock that selfie and even that last that last night holding a glass of champagne i actually have a selfie of her trying to smile she really couldn't, but you can see she's trying to smile. So I have so many happy memories of that period. It, uh, it's something that I will, uh, as I said, I probably said blessed. You'd mentioned another guest of yours who said the F-bomb a lot. I've probably said blessed about 40 billion <laughs> times this particular episode, but it, it's genuinely how I feel. Um, and uh, it's, it is something that I will hold in a very special spot in my heart for the rest Absolutely. of my lifetime, that's for sure. Oh, sweetheart, it's a privilege. It's been such a, a wonderful privilege to watch. So thank you for being so open and sharing it with us. And to Yoda, I just want to, on behalf of all of us, I feel like we all know you even more. And I just want to say thank you for, for raising such an exquisite daughter that we all get to, to see you shine on. And if there was one thing to finish with, if there was any other comments that you had to make around the power of self-love, what would that be? I think one of the things that I have really lent into in a big way for the last two years is any time that stress has got more is that I double down on my self-love and self-care. So particularly over the last couple of months is that any of the self-care practices that I've laid into my life over the last couple of decades. And one of the suggestions I would make to you, to your listeners is don't try and do everything that I do or that Kim does straight away. I mean, we've been doing this stuff for decades um, and we have a choice when we're under stress. We can either go down paths and habits that don't serve us or we can double down physical, chemical and emotional strongest. And so for me, particularly over the last couple of months, and I'm doing it again now, Into I've got a little 10-week sprint of self-care and love as I come into the end of, uh, of 2020, is having that awareness that if I want to be at my best, the things that I have control over is particularly my self-love and or self-care practices, depending on how you like to call it. I call it self-love more often than not now. And really making conscious choices of, of what things serve me, what has me at my best possible state, and what can help me feel the way that I want to feel every day. And if I want to feel magnetic and playful and attractive and clear and calm, what things do I need to have in place to make that more possible? And for those of you who might be listening and thinking that I don't have time for the stuff you guys are talking about, is my question to you be, would be, what if you did? What if you opened the door to the possibilities just enough, even if it's the smallest of cracks and you start taking moments throughout the day to be gentle and kind to yourself? Far out, how different could life look within the shortest of period of time, let alone within a year or two? Oh, I love it. And your favourite quote right now? Give it to me. Oh, I'm going to give you a little prayer, actually, Kim, because this is one of my mum's favourite prayers. And I think that in, it, comes, it really sums up the worrier meter in so many ways, which is God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think given our current times in 2020, that's, uh, that's a good prayer to have on uh, high rotation. 
so that you can be in, be aware of what you do. What do you need to take courageous step to, steps towards? What do you have to have the wisdom for to let it go and let it be to its higher good? Oh, it's so beautiful, and what an amazing message to finish on. I just want to thank you, sweetheart, from the bottom of my heart, and on behalf of everyone listening to this. Thank you for being you. Can you just tell us how we can follow you, where we can find you, and how we can be a part of your world? Oh, absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> funnily enough, it's been part of the uh, the baptism of fire of, of 2020. I did a complete rebrand. So, the one place you can find me now, as far as the website's concerned, is alignedu.com.au. So that's A L I. I-G-N-E-D, the letter U.com.au. Um, that has all the, my contact details on it. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's either at aligned.u, as in the letter U, or you can follow my more personal page, Dr. Maria Z. Uh, and also, if you wanted to join my Aligned U collective, I've got a closed Facebook group, ironically, on Facebook. All you need to do is search Aligned U in the groups and request to join. Let me, let me know that you've heard me speak on a podcast. I, I post in there daily. I do a couple of live videos usually once or couple once a week that's actually oxymoron um i'm in there at least once a week on a live video um or you can listen to aligned you which you can find on all good podcast mediums but itunes and spotify are obviously the obvious one perfect maria thank you from the bottom of my heart i love you and i cannot wait for the borders to open so we can play and drink rosé in sydney harbour (laughs) or a good glass of prosecco and and dozen or two voices can you wait open the borders up i'd say take me now take me now love you too my friend thank you so much such an honor and privilege to be on your podcast it's a privilege too sweetie big hugs right back at you thanks for listening to the self-love podcast be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family and head over and visit kim and her team at 28.com that's the word 20 and the number 8.com take good care This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.